All right, Treya. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a speaker into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, there is certainly nothing better uh, than lifting up the name of Jesus this morning. Hey, um, certainly welcome to worship. Uh, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. 1 Timothy uh, chapter number 2. Uh, if it's your first week here or your first week here in a long time, uh, we have been in a series titled Prayer, Grasping the Heart of God. So as you could guess, this series is all about one of the most important component, components of every believer's life. It's all about prayer. Now you might think to yourself, why would we spend so many weeks talking about prayer? Well, the answer is pretty simple. We believe as followers of Christ that our power to live as Jesus wants us to, our power is provided through prayer. So let me just get you up to speed. For the last couple of weeks, that's what we've been talking about. In our first week together, we spent some time defining prayer. What is prayer? And really, we summed it up with one word. It's the word communication, us talking with God. The reason is simple. There is no relation without communication. Think about any other relationship that you have in your life, someone that you're close to, a healthy, growing relationship, I would guarantee you spend a great amount of time talking to that person. Why? Because it's important for a relationship to grow. Well, if it's important for relationships with other people, how much more would it be for us who are followers of Jesus to spend time talking to God? So we defined what is prayer. We also answered another question that really just kind of helped us think about why prayer is so important. And that answer is pretty simple too. It's because prayer is our power source for life. Think about anything in our world that needs power. It might have all the right components. It might look great. It might be the most expensive product you could buy. But if you never plug it into the wall for it to have power, it does not serve its purpose. Well, friends, how true is that of believers, those who follow Jesus? We have a power source. His name is God, and we should stay connected to him as often as we can if we want to fulfill our purpose and accomplish his plan. So we pray. Last week, we looked at another question, which was really just simply, if we know what prayer is and we know why prayer is so important, then Danny, how should we pray? We looked at a passage of scripture where Jesus himself actually modeled for his followers what it looks like to pray. Jesus showed us the way to pray. In fact, we took from that and built a little acrostic out using the word pray. In other words, we gave a little example of components of prayer for each letter in the word pray. The first one was the P. That means we should praise. 
Jesus every time we pray. The R stood for request. We should make requests of God and to God when we pray. The A stands for admit. We should certainly spend time confessing our sin, admitting what we've done wrong before God so that he can forgive us. And the Y stood for yield. We want to yield every area of our lives to the will of God so that he can use us for his glory and his honor. Now listen, I didn't give the model for prayer. Jesus did. And what a great model it certainly is for us to learn how to pray. So listen, for the next several weeks, really for the rest of the series on prayer, we're going to think about different ways that prayer is impactful, not just for us, but for the world around us. We're going to think about the impact of prayer. Listen, prayer isn't just a a meaningless activity that we do to check off of a to-do list. Oh, I said my morning or evening prayer. Prayer isn't something that we do when we don't have anything else that we can do. Of course, we should always pray, especially when there's nothing else to do, but it's not just something we do when there's nothing else to do. Prayer isn't something we do just because we have the time or because we're bored. No, no, no. Prayer actually impacts me, impacts us, and the world around us. So I wanna wrestle through several different questions over the next several weeks. Questions like, what should I pray for? And questions like, how should I pray for those things that I should pray for? Now, sometimes I think, at least for me, I don't always pray for the most important things. In fact, a lot of my prayer life is really just about me. Anybody else? Say that a lot of times your prayer life is just about you. Get a little selfish when it comes to your time talking to God. Now listen, there's nothing wrong praying for yourself or praying for the people who are closest to you. But if that's all you pray for, could it be that we're missing one of the most important things that we should be praying for? Now, what if I told you that scripture actually teaches us certain things that we should be praying for? What if I told you that there are certain things we miss, honestly, because we're focused on the wrong thing? Just this week, I was reading a story about the Soviet Union, and it was talking about a time in which the the Soviet Union was dealing with a wave of petty theft. Now, in order to try to stop the wave that was going on, the the thievery that was happening, the authorities put up guards around all of the local factories. At one particular factory, it was a, a timber factory, there's a story told about a guard who knew all of the workers in the factory extremely well. On the first evening, out came a familiar face with a wheelbarrow on, well, with a wheelbarrow in hands, and on the wheelbarrow, a great bulky sack with a suspicious-looking object inside. All right, said the guard, what have you got there? Oh, just sawdust and shavings, the worker replied. Come on, the guard said, I wasn't born yesterday, tip it out. Out came nothing but sawdust and shavings. So he was allowed to put it all back again, load it up, and go home. Now, the same thing happened every single night of that week until the guard became extremely frustrated. So finally, his curiosity overcame his frustration. The guard looked at the worker and he said, I know you. We're friends. I watched you grow up. We know each other. Tell me what you're smuggling out of here every night and I'll let you go. Wheelbarrows, my friend, said the worker. Wheelbarrows. 
You may have heard a similar story like that before, but it really made me think, how many times do we miss what's most important because we're really focused on the wrong thing? As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this particular illustration, and I was thinking about what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, here's all I could really think about. All I could think about was the thief in the story that was stealing the, the wheelbarrows, that was distracting the guard so that he could take something else. All I could think about was how in the New Testament, Jesus calls someone else a thief. This is in John 10.10. 10. He talks about the devil, and here's how he describes it. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I thought to myself, maybe our prayers have become distracted by everything else and we've lost one of the most important focuses that our prayers should have. All the time that we're praying for everything else around us, is it possible that the devil is stealing souls right out from under us? Is it possible that he's become a really good thief? Listen, we probably would admit to focusing on the wrong thing with many different things in our lives. We can be very easily distracted. However, what about with your prayer life? Friends, I don't think it's a coincidence that before the great day of Pentecost in the beginning of Acts, before we see thousands of people come to know Jesus and place their faith in him, before we see the movement of the church born, do you know what we find the disciples doing? They're in a small room together, and guess what they're doing? They're praying. I don't think there's a coincidence between the connection that as people's lives are changed by God, as the world is turned upside down for his glory, it usually always begins with prayer. As a matter of fact, I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're there, we're going to start reading in verse number 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Here's what Paul wrote. He wrote, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now listen, I want to I stop here, and I just want you to notice, Paul starts this discussion with Timothy with these words, first of all. Now, I don't know how often you make a list of priorities that need to be taking place, but usually number one is pretty important on my list. When Paul is describing to Timothy, this young pastor who's leading at the church at Ephesus, when he begins to discuss with them how he should lead, how he should push forward, how he should encourage them, how he should fight against the devil, he starts with these words, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving should be made for all people. You say, Danny, what's he talking about? He's saying prayers be made. First of all, if you're going to conquer the world in the name of Jesus, here's what I need you to do first. I need you to pray for all 
people. Friends, listen, our focus could be off simply because we don't pray like we should. As a matter of fact, is the first thing you do on the list of priorities in your life is the first thing prayer. If not, then maybe we're already losing our focus. However, it could also be that when you do pray, even when it is the first thing you do, do you miss one of the most important things we should be praying for all the time? In other words, your prayers might be missing a major focus. Do your prayers focus on people meeting Jesus? I think that's what Paul wants Timothy to remember in his prayers as he leads the church. His words to Timothy help us know exactly what we should be doing to pray with a focus on people meeting Jesus. Listen, I want to help you see it because Paul uses four particular words for prayer all within the context of evangelism, all within the context of sharing Jesus to the world. Here's the first one that uh, Paul reminds Timothy of. He says, Supplications should be made for all people. You say, Danny, where does he say that? Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, be made for all people. What's he saying? Supplications should be made for all people. Now, the word supplications means to ask. It means to request, it means to beg, it means to pray. This word in particular has to do with asking God for something specific. It's also presenting a need to God for the sake of having it met. Listen, he's not just throwing out something random, no, no. He's making requests of God because he knows that that specific request can be made possible if he asks God to do it. He's asking for the sake of having that need met. Now, for me, as I'm reading through this context, it's possible. It's possible that Paul's thinking about Christians as they strive to live out their faith for Jesus. These types of prayers would then be thought of as requests that have personal needs in mind. Now, I want to help you see this in the greater context that Paul's writing to Timothy in. The place that this letter's going is a city where many people are being persecuted. Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus, and if you want to know more specifics about that context and the difficulty of being a Christian in Ephesus at this time, you can flip back to Acts chapter 19, and you can see all the chaos that's happening in Ephesus. There is a lot of struggle and persecution happening to believers. And because of that, listen, I'm sure, I'm sure there are a lot of personal needs that they have. Regardless, regardless of persecution, regardless of their suffering, Paul wants them to live as God desires for them to live. And here's what I thought about. How often do we find ourselves in situations where things aren't great, but God still wants us to show the world Jesus? How often are we in a world that doesn't care about Christ, but yet we must still seek out ways to show him to everyone around us? When I thought about supplications in the context of 1 Timothy 2, all I could think about was the prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4. 
It comes in the context of John and Peter being persecuted as they've been sharing their faith in Jesus. They have saw a lame man healed. They've been proclaiming the name of Christ. Pentecost has happened, and it begins to stir with some people who don't like it. So the authorities take Peter and John in, and they imprison them, and they threaten them, and they beat them, and then they let them go. And here's what they tell them. They say, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. You know what they were saying? They were saying, we're going to let you go. But if you continue to talk about Jesus to other people around you, we will kill you for your faith in Christ. So Peter and John are released, and they never talk about Jesus again. No, it's not how the story goes. As a matter of fact, you know what the first thing is they do after they're released? They go find all the other believers and they circle up together and they begin to pray. But listen, friends, they're not praying that they would be safe. They're not praying that everything would go their way. They're not praying that those authorities would be punished and that they would go away and that God would take over everything and they would be the new leaders and everything would be perfect in their life. No, no, no. You know what they pray for? They pray that in the midst of that persecution, in the midst of those sufferings, they pray knowing that it's going to happen again. They pray for boldness to continue to proclaim the name of Jesus. What are they doing? They're making supplications on behalf of all the believers who need to continue to share Jesus with the world. Listen, Paul's certainly wanting the church to pray for the needs of all people. But I think supplications are in the context of what Paul would write next in the verse. Listen to this, what Paul wrote, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Look at it. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What are the reasons for the request? What are the reasons for the supplications that Paul is mentioning to Timothy? Well, I think the reason is so that we can point people to Jesus every day in every way. Listen, we've already seen several times where God wants his children to make requests of him. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. James puts it like this in chapter 4, verse too. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Friends, if supplications is requesting of God something in this context, requests are that we would live for Jesus even in the midst of a world that maybe doesn't care about him. If that's what supplications is, if that's what Paul's telling Timothy to pray for here, friends, shouldn't we be asking God to help us and others in our community do the same thing? Shouldn't one of the greatest focuses of our prayers be that God would use us and other believers in this area to stand for Jesus and change the world? Don't forget what Paul continued to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, the greater context. Look at it. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. What's good? What's pleasing? That they would offer supplications for all people. That's what's good. That's what's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Look at it. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, what supplications have you been making? What have you been asking God as it pertains to you pointing people to Jesus, as it pertains to others pointing people to Jesus? Prayer is so important for Christians to change the world. Have you been praying? that God would use you to change it. Listen, prayers should be 
Supplication should be made for all people. Secondly, prayers should be made for all people, right? Paul continues. It doesn't end with supplications. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings, be made for all people. Prayers should be made for all people. They say, Danny, what's the difference in supplications and prayers? Well, they're different words, but they do both mean talking with God. However, where supplications is more of a request that we would live the way God wants us to live, I think the word prayers here is used as a more general word for praying to God. This has to do with praying for everything and everyone around you in a very general sense. The word means to pray or to wish. Now, once again, think of the context that Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. He's serving in a communist nation where the people are being ruled by one of the cruelest emperors that has ever lived. In fact, he will one day take the life of Paul who's writing to Timothy. Yet Paul writes... 1 Timothy 2.2, for kings and all who are in high positions. You say, Danny, how could they pray for those who were so terrible to them? Paul had suffered much under the Roman rule. He had been imprisoned and would eventually be killed for his faith. However, Paul still reminds Timothy to pray for them. Why? Why, Danny, should we pray for leaders who don't care about God? Why should we pray for a government who doesn't honor Jesus? Why should we pray for a nation that doesn't care about Christ? Why, Danny, why should we pray? Well, I think it's because prayer alone was the only thing that could change their world. And can I tell you something, friends? Prayer is the only thing that can change ours. Listen, we can try a thousand different things, but only God can fix the problems this world has. So... Prayers should be made for all people. Listen, this isn't a new concept. God's people have always been people who prayed for their leaders and their communities. As a matter of fact, when God's people were exiles in Babylon, that's right, exiles, they were imprisoned, overtaken, captured by another group of people. They were still told to pray for them. Here's what Jeremiah wrote in chapter 29, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. When God's people were under Persian rule, an edict of King Cyrus also speaks of God's people praying for the king when they were allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. Here's what it says in Ezra chapter 6, verse 10, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray, listen to this, and pray for the life of the king and his sons, for their prosperity, for their good, not just the king's, but his entire family. In fact, Jesus even takes it a step further in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Listen to this. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You say, Dan, even that person who caused evil in my life? Yes. Even that boss that I just, man, I'm telling you, they're doing things that just are so dishonoring to God? Yes. You mean that leader in our nation that we just don't think should be there at all? I should pray for them? Yes. Even the person who does the most wicked to you you could ever imagine, Jesus says, pray for those. 
Listen, not just the Old Testament, not just the early church, but even our church fathers throughout the history of the church have also prayed for their leaders even when they weren't godly leaders. Clement of Rome, during the brutal reign of Domitian, he also issues a letter to believers that they would seek the Lord's will, that they would pray on behalf of those who led them even as they were dying for their faith. Justin Martyr during the rule of Antonius Pius and Marcus Aurelius, by the way, who would be the very ones to kill him, says, pray for the kings and their kingly rule. Tertullian, during the brutal reign of Septimius Severus, and listen, I don't know who that is, but when your name is Severus, it's got to be serious, right? Here's what he writes. He says, without ceasing, for all our emperors, we offer prayer. Now listen to what they pray for. Listen to how specific this is. We pray for life prolonged, for security to the emperor, for protection to the imperial house, for brave armies, a faithful senate, a virtuous people, the world at rest, whatever, as man or Caesar, an emperor would wish. We pray for them. Friends, if they were to pray for their leaders in their community, even though it was so bad, I think it's safe for us to, to know that we should pray for our leaders and our community. Don't forget, once again, what Paul continued to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. The greater context of this prayer, listen to it. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior. What is good and pleasing? That we would pray even for kings, even for our communities. Why would that be good? Listen who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Seriously, the only way our world will improve is by God. Well, friends, when's the last time you've been brokenhearted over a leader or someone in the community who is so lost in darkness? When's the last time that you prayed, not that something horrible would happen to them, not that they would get run out of town, not that they would die so that someone else would take over. When's the last time you prayed seriously about their soul. The entire time, the devil's got you praying for all these other things, and he's sneaking out wheelbarrows right behind our backs. He's taking souls with him every day. When's the last time you prayed that God would change the world? Listen, Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite authors and writers, in fact, he's the voiceover for the bumper video when I come up before this sermon series. In his book, Why Revival Tarries, listen to what he wrote. He said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. When was the last time you spent time praying for our leaders in our nation and our community? When was the last time you prayed that God would change them, not so that your life and your world and your community would be better. When's the last time you prayed for their soul that they would have an eternity in heaven alongside of you? Listen, supplications should be made for all people. Prayers should be made for all people. Look at, look at this third one. Intercessions should be made for all people. Look back, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Don't miss it. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Intercessions should be made for all people. Now, the word intercessions refers to praying on behalf of others. It's used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, and it's translated as the word pray. 
So you say, Danny, are all these words translated as the word pray? Sometimes. Well, then what's the difference with it and everything else? Well, this word means to speak to someone on behalf of someone else. This could be praying on behalf of others in any way. It could be praying for those who are sick. However, the word carries the idea of going before a king or anyone in authority to make a request. Now, this would seem extremely appropriate in our prayers before God, right? It's going to someone who has the authority to change something and making a request to that authority, to that power. Now, numerous people throughout Scripture have voiced prayers to God on behalf of others, or, as we might think of it in the context of the word intercessions, have sought a counsel with the king. We would call these intercessory prayers. Listen, we can find one of them in Numbers chapter 14, verse 19, when Moses cried out to God on behalf of the people. Here's what he said. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love just as, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. He prays on behalf of the people. Samuel also prays for the salvation of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 17. He tells them, he says, gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. Daniel prayed for God's forgiveness for the people in Daniel chapter 9. He asked God, he says, Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. He cries out on behalf of the city. Paul also prayed for his people in Romans chapter 9. In fact, Paul says, I would rather be cursed to hell and my own people be saved so that nobody misses the opportunity to spend eternity with Jesus. That is some intercessory prayer, my friends. But can I tell you something else? Jesus practices intercessory prayer as he intercedes, by the way, for you and for me. Listen to how Paul put it in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. This is what he wrote. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, listen to this, who indeed is interceding for us. What's he doing? He's talking with the king on our behalf. He's interceding for you and for me. Can you imagine the amount of times he's going, God, you know, Danny, he's, I know, no one wants him. I, I tell you, every teacher at BBS is so sad when they see Danny on their roll. I tell you, nobody wants, he's got some issues, but God, let me pray on behalf of Danny. I see something in him as my power is at work in his life. This is why Paul would remind Timothy of this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Look back at it. He wrote, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. You know who that mediator is? The man Christ Jesus. Now, don't forget the context, right, that Paul's writing this to Timothy in, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What's good? What's pleasing? Intercessions being made on behalf of all people. It's good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul's reminding Timothy to intercede on behalf of all people so that they can meet Jesus. Friends, all of us have someone in our lives that doesn't know Christ. God desires that they would be saved. I love what John MacArthur writes in his commentary. He says, the church must understand the importance of its evangelistic mission and the role of prayer 
in fulfilling it. When was the last time you spent time praying, interceding on behalf of someone else? I don't know if you realize this, but there is nobody in this world who can claim that Danny Boudreaux has saved them. There is no one in this world that can claim that you have saved them. You have zero power in salvation. You know who has all the power? God does. If we know that, friend, then when was the last time we were on our face praying that God would save someone, that God would save a neighbor or a friend or a family member or a coworker? When's the last time you interceded on behalf of someone else? I could tell you numerous times I've prayed for me. I can count a whole lot less times that I've prayed for the salvation of someone else. Supplications should be made. Prayers should be made. Intercessions should be made. Let me show you this last one. Thanksgivings should be made for all people. Look back, 1 Timothy 2.1. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Listen, the word for thanksgivings is the Greek word eucharistia. This is where we get our English word. Doesn't really matter about the Greek word, but it is where we get our English word, Eucharist. It literally means giving of thanks. However, this is the word that many people use to talk about the elements of the Lord's Supper. We're so thankful for Jesus' death on the cross for our sins that we literally call the elements thanksgiving. He said, Danny, why is that so significant? Once again, don't forget the context in which Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Look back at verses 3 and 4. I hope you can quote these by the time you leave out of here this morning. Look back at it. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. What's good? What's pleasing? That thanksgivings should be made for all people. Why? Because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The context has to do with people being saved, people giving their lives to Jesus. In fact, Paul would express this thanks in, ver in the verses that are following. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. Look at it. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, look at this, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Friends, I don't know about you, but each of us should constantly praise God by giving him thanks. Why? Because he's done so much for us that we should never run out of thanks. We should never run out of praise to give to him. But thanksgivings is on behalf of all people. You say, Danny, why? Because God hasn't just saved you and me. He saved so many others. And can I tell you this? He will continue to save even more. And I pray, friends, that he uses me. He uses us in that process. When was the last time you thanked Jesus for your salvation? When was the last time you thanked him for the salvation of so many? When was the last time that you thanked him even for those he has yet to save? Friends, we have power in evangelism to see people come to know Christ, and it begins with our prayer life. When's the last time we met with God and prayed that people would be saved? And I think John Stott really sums up our need for prayer and sharing Jesus with the world best. Here's what Stott wrote. Our exclusive faith. You say, what do you mean exclusive? Well, it's because there is one God and no other, right? One God, one mediator. His name is Jesus. There's one. Our exclusive faith leads necessarily to our inclusive 
mission. You say, Danny, what's the inclusive mission? That one God wants all people to be saved. I'll never forget, I heard an old pastor of mine one time say that the gospel is extremely exclusive in the sense that it is only Jesus. But it is incredibly inclusive in the sense that all people can come through him. Isn't that beautiful, friends? Don't forget what Paul wrote to Timothy in verses three and four. You ready? This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Because he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Can I ask you a couple questions this morning? I wonder how many believers in this room right now are feeling extreme conviction over their lack of concern and prayer for those who need Jesus. Can I tell you one person who fits in that category? I do. When was the last time you prayed that God would save someone, that, that friend, that family member, that neighbor? When was the last time that you went before him and earnestly prayed that he would save someone? In fact, you might be here and you say, Danny, I don't even really know where to begin. I don't really even know how to start. I don't really know how to even keep my focus on praying for people who need Jesus. Let me show you this little graphic right here. This might help you. It helps me. I, I don't know. It may just be for me. This is called an Oikos map. Oikos really translated as house or home, but really it just kind of means your sphere of influence, the people around you. One of the best ways for you to keep your focus on praying for people in your life who need to know Jesus is to just make a little circle that has your name in it. In this case, the your name is me, but you would actually maybe put your name. Oh, you could put me. I guess that's fine. Out from there, you put all the names of the people. By the way, if your name is up there, I didn't make this one. Although for some of your names, I might be praying for you. This is awkward. He pointed back at me. It's weird. He knew it from the moment he saw it. I'm just kidding. Hey, I wonder how many people you're connected with in your life. How many friends, how many acquaintances, how many coworkers, how many family, how many neighbors that you could put out in an Oikos map to remember to pray. Listen, not just that God would save them, but that he would give you the opportunity to tell them there's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus and he came. He's the way, the truth, the life. He's the one who makes a way for us to come to the Father. Friends, listen, when's the last time you got serious about praying for people to come to know Jesus? Maybe this tool will help you. Maybe you'd rather an app or set some reminders on your phone or maybe you like index cards with a name and a couple of bullet points that you put all over your house. Whatever the case may be, pray for those who need Jesus. Let me ask you another question. I wonder how many people might be in here this morning and would say, you know what, Danny, it's really hard for me to pray for someone else to know Jesus because I don't know Jesus. Hey, can I tell you something that's beautiful? <laughs> there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, listen, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Hey, can I just tell you something? Do you know who all means? Besides the fact that it means all, it means you. It means me. Right now, today, you can give your life to Jesus. Friends, how impactful is your prayer life when it comes to seeing people's lives changed for Jesus? Leonard Ravenhill, another one of my favorite things that he's ever written is this. He wrote, poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. We have many players and payers, but few prayers. 
Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. He would go on to write, failing here, talking about prayer, failing here, we fail everywhere. Friend, how is your prayer life? What I love most about our time talking about the topic of prayer is that at the end of all of our corporate worship gatherings on Sundays, we don't just get to talk about prayer, we get the opportunity to actually pray. So let me just invite you into a couple things this morning before I close in prayer. We're going to have a time where you can respond. I thoroughly believe that anytime God's word is preached, he demands a response from us. I don't know what that response is for you. That's between you and God, but I believe he demands it. So here's what I would challenge you with. Two things. One, if you're a Christian in the room this morning and you feel the same conviction I do about my own prayer life, I would challenge you today to begin praying for the lost people you know in your life or the friends you have who are far from God or the people you know that have been running for Jesus for a long time. I would issue a challenge to you today, Christian believer, the one who should be praying most. Will you spend time praying for those who need Jesus? And even more specifically, Will you pray that God will give you the opportunity and the words to say to help lead somebody in your oikos, in your sphere of influence? Will you pray that God will give you the opportunity to lead them to Jesus? Can I tell you something? You can spend time right now this morning praying for that. Right where you are, you can find a room somewhere. If you need to be alone for a little while, you can come pray at this altar. I don't care. But Jesus is pecking his people to pray that souls would be saved. Hey, can I just issue one more challenge though? I bet there are some people in this room that it's really hard to pray for someone else to be saved because you haven't prayed to surrender your life to Jesus. So can I just tell you something? Listen, in just a moment, I'm gonna be back there in that lobby. I'll have my Bible. I'd love to tell you how you can follow Jesus. But can I just tell you something? You won't be praying to Danny. I'm not the mediator, Jesus is. You don't need me. You know what you need to do? You need this morning to confess your sin, ask Jesus to forgive you, make him the Lord and Savior of your life, and begin following after him. As a matter of fact, right where you are, you don't even need me. You can pray something just similar to this. You can say, God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin should equal eternal death in a place called hell forever separated from you. But God, I don't want that. Instead, I know Jesus paid for my sin. I know that he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, not just to pay for my sin, but to give me new life. And you can ask Jesus this morning to forgive you and to save you. And listen, I just tell you, thank him for it. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I want to live for you. Amen. Hey, friend, if that's you this morning, I promise you we'll be fine waiting on you. If you need to come down to this altar and pray, you need to pray it right where you are. Once again, I'll be in that lobby. If you need me, come find me. Listen, we'll stay here a little longer if we have to. We'd love for you to give your life to Jesus. Friends, listen, what is your prayer life like? Father, we love you.